Welcome to the show. I am your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb, and you're listening to On The Clock. On The Clock is a venture with the Strategos Podcast Network, where we feature an array of guests to dive into all things education. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back to On The Clock with Todd Dallas-Lamb. I am indeed that guy, your host uh, on the show, and today we have the privilege of, of talking to Mike Duncan, superintendent of Pike County Schools in Georgia. Mike, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing great, Todd. Thanks for having me. Great. I, I uh, noticed on your bio, you know, we, we've been interviewing for two years now since really the start of COVID, and we've, we've interviewed districts as huge and diverse as, as Dallas ISD, Montgomery County. We've, we've talked to Gustavo Balderas out in, uh, out in Washington State. And I, I wanted to get a Southern accent in on, on this show. And I really appreciate you being our, our first true Southern accent. Well, I'm, I'll try my best. I'm, I'm not sure you're going to get a real drippy uh, Southern drawl out of me, but uh, I, w- I was born and raised here in Georgia. You know, not only that, you I noticed on your, your, your site that you have been superintendent there since 2005. You're one of the longest serving superintendents in, in the state of Georgia right now, which has a lot of districts. Um, Countywide districts, as I recall. That's right. What what, did, what do you uh, attribute your your longevity to? <laughs> um, you, that's a great question, Todd. You know, I, I just try to get up every day and and try to keep the kids first, be nice to people. You know, I know that uh, I know that sounds uh, you know so shallow, but uh, you know, but I think in a small community, you know, if you, if you show up every day and and do the work, and you try not to be a celebrity, and and you really work the work of creating awesome learning experiences for kids. Uh, you know, the community sees that. And when I became superintendent, uh, I realized real quickly, they, they weren't looking for a celebrity. Uh, they were, they were, they were looking for a worker. They want somebody to show up every day, roll their sleeves up, get the work and, uh, grew up in a blue collar family. So I, I think it's just been a, a really great fit. And, uh, this, this is a, a small rural community South of Atlanta, about an hour. And, um, but they were wanting to be something different and they were wanting to go on a different journey and they were not real interested in standardized test scores and a lot of the traditional measures of success. And that was really what I was interested in working through some of those systems transformations. And so I, I would say it's just been a, a great fit and I've had great school boards, you know, school board members, man, they, they get, they get, they get beat up so much because typically the only time you ever hear about school board members, uh, sometimes they're doing wacky things. And, uh, but I, I've had many, 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 many different school board members over the years. And, and I can say that they've all shown up wanting to put kids first. And so I, I've, I've just, I've, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. That's great. What, you know, whether we are picking presidents or college football coaches, I, I always say that, there's always a transformation in that we want to go in some direction. We want some of the good from the previous person, and we want, you know, we, we want to eliminate some of the things we perceived as the bad. What what was the aside from standardized testing, which you mentioned? What was some of the things that they were looking for when they brought you in in 2005? Well, I, I think the big thing was they they were just looking for someone to be more interested in instruction. And to be more interested in supporting teachers and students 
in the classroom experience and really thinking about how that might be different. And, and that wasn't, Todd, that wasn't like a day one kind of charge, but it was something that grew over the first several years is that it was a, it was a really good school system. Um, but yet at the time it had a 63% graduation rate. And so I, I had to start off by kind of having the conversation about, well, we say we're a great school system, but yet we're only graduating 63% of our kids. So, um, you know, I had to dig deep into that and peel back some of the layers to understand what good meant in this community. And, and what it was is it was about relationships. It was about community. It, it was about the community being deeply supportive of the teachers and students. And so my job was to leverage those relationships and that deep involvement of the community and support for the schools to begin to break away from the silos and create systems that work for students and teachers. What What is your graduation rate now, if I might ask? I think the last time we looked at it was 96%. So you, you kicked that up 30% in the last, what, 15 years, 16 years. That's well, pretty we, amazing. Well, we went from 63 to 88% in the first five years. And, uh, and, and that's a really a big part of our story is um, <laughs> I, I like to tell the story that after after five years, we had we had a 25 percent increase in graduation rate, um, three, 300 percent increase in dual enrollment, 300 percent increase in pass rates on advanced placement. And uh, there was that moment that I, I really expected there to be a gilded chariot to come and pick me up and, and take me around the, the courthouse square and celebrate all this wonderful success we were having. And uh, it, it was just really a blip on the radar screen. Uh, the community wasn't overly interested in any of that. And so we started having some really difficult conversations internally about um, we've been working so hard to promote these, these standardized metrics of success. And our community isn't really interested in that. Uh, we need to start having real conversations with our community about what in the world they want us to be doing for their children. And so that launched our Portrait of a Graduate work that lasted a couple of years. And uh, we developed a Portrait of a Graduate with our community, which has been the, the most powerful thing that I've ever seen in transforming school districts. I want to dive into the, the graduation rate a little bit. I, it, I, I am not a trained education professional as you are. However, I think a lot of what you do is really a CEO position. And, and one of the things that it seems to me, if I, I came in and I wanted to move the needle on graduation rate, aside from the other actives, activities you were probably doing to raise expectations and get you know, more, more um, higher achieving students, the first order of business would be to figure out a way to identify who's dropping out, why they're dropping out, and what pro programs you could put in place to keep them chugging along towards graduation. Walk me through a couple things that sort of went through your mind and, and the struggles you went to, and maybe not even, sounds like it, there weren't a lot of struggles. You, made, you had a lot of success in five years. So walk me through the, the nuts and bolts of that. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. It wasn't that students were dropping out. It's just they weren't graduating on time. And so creating things like credit recovery, robust summer school opportunities, uh, we went from a six period day to a seven period day to give students more opportunities to make up credits and, and also advance the curriculum and to take more dual enrollment classes. Uh, so it was a combination of those things. But, but I think what was really interesting is when we develop these state level accountability systems, we, we oftentimes don't have conversations about the perverse incentives that those accountability systems create. And, and so 
you can look at school districts pretty much all around the country and you can look where in the past they had very low graduation rates now they have very high graduation rates but when you but when you start to ask about uh, the, the curriculum and the pedagogical differences people can't really talk a lot about those and so you know there there is a level of gaming to that system um and, and so for us, you know, the graduation rate, you know, we report it out, but, you know, we don't really talk about it anymore um, because it, it, I, I just don't believe that it's necessarily a, a metric. Of course, we want kids to graduate, Todd. You don't get me wrong. I mean, that's, that's our goal, right? right. Kids graduating. Uh, you know, but, but even more important than that is what is their level of engagement while they're with us and what are they learning and what are those skills they're leaving with us as they go on to post-secondary or work or the military? What is the, you, you mentioned the community is rural. What, what is the, put some meat on the bone of what does rural mean? Is it farming, animals, livestock, produce? Well, interesting. We're, we're one of those, uh, the McKinsey report, I believe it was last week, just issued a report talking about the mosaic of America. And it talked about, you know, the, the different counties and communities and, and how some of them are, are rural and some of them are rural prosperity. I can't remember the exact terms they were using, but it was really fascinating. We're, we're one of these really interesting counties where we're a bedroom community to Atlanta. And so we use the word rural because we're 200 square mile county. We only have 18,000 citizens. So we are technically rural. Um, but we're a bedroom community to Atlanta and a bedroom community to Macon. And so we don't have a lot of business and industry. So it's a, it's a bedroom community. So you probably have a lot of people that maybe even moved there for the community at large, but maybe also work even in Atlanta. And, and maybe in the last two years, you even have folks that are just don't even work in Atlanta anymore, but they work for companies in Atlanta and work from home. And it may be a blend of all manner of different professions, I'm assuming. You know, we had, I think one of the census reports reported at one point that uh, the average commute for a person in my community was 40 minutes. Wow. That was the average. Yeah. And, and so we, we do have a community that gets up early in the morning, they drive out of the community to work, and they come home um, early in the evening. And so having that engagement with the school system is even more important because these folks aren't in the community during the day while we have their children. And so it's, it's been a very interesting relationship that we've developed over the many years. Uh, but but it is it is a rural community. It's it's beautiful. We, we like to call it Mayberry. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we are a suburb to Atlanta and we can be to Hartsfield Jackson International Airport in about 40 minutes. When you look yeah. at the size of your district and then you know, I was just at a conference with you in Savannah, Georgia, and you're, you know, side by side with superintendents from the Atlanta area, Cobb, Gwinnett, Ful Fulton. Do you ever, when you when you think about comparing notes with some of those superintendents and the, and the hurdles they have, it just seems to me overwhelming to be able to manage a district that has 135,000 students. I, if I had to pick your job, I think I would want a small community where I almost feel like I could know nearly every family in some capacity over the course of the, you know, the nine, well, the 13 years that a kid might go to school in, in Pike County. I think they have some really significant challenges, and and I believe that that's one of the the real challenges of some of the very large districts is replicability, scalability of their initiatives. And and even in a district like ours, where we have five schools, we have one primary, one elementary, one middle, one ninth grade academy, and a high school. Uh, change is still very difficult, even in what I call a unitary district, just one building for each grade center that moves through. Um, having that size allows us to be very agile, be very nimble, 
and and once again to develop those relationships because uh, you know you can only change at the speed of trust and so there there is a, a really powerful piece about relationships and and it's just about simply the level of bureaucracies that exist uh, you know I, I today I, I, right before we got on I, I just came from visiting an algebra two physics class that had done an adaptive physical educate an adaptive technology project based learning unit where they went into our elementary school. We're working with some of our special needs students and they were designing in engineering and then producing adaptive technology for those students. Uh, you know, I get to do that kind of stuff every day. So I get to have those kinds of interactions with the students and the teachers. So I get to be on the ground supporting instructional improvements um, each and every day. And I meet with my principals every single week. And so I believe being able to develop those kind of relationships and, and know the relative strengths and weaknesses of your team uh, allows you to move quickly and, and do some really cool stuff. So Mike, let's talk about some of the strategies that you use. When, when we were discussing prior to the show, uh, some of the things you're doing in Pike County, I was really interested to understand the dynamic you have with, I think a friend and maybe neighbor of yours, Tyler Thigpen, and the whole concept of self-directed learning. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, self-directed learning is one, one of the three core components of our instructional design. And so just real briefly, if I could describe that for you, um, we our mission in our school district is to develop creative problem solvers through an inquiry-based instructional approach that has three core components. The first is concept-based teaching and learning. The second is self-direction. And the third is authentic performances. So we've been working for many years, uh, working with Rachel French and the Professional Learning International Organization on concept-based teaching and learning. And so we're now working with Tyler Thigpen and the Institute for Self-Directed Learning uh, to help us think through the processes and procedures and tools and environment in which students need to be self-directed. And through Tyler's research, he's, they have talked about that self-direction really comes in four phases. Uh, the first phase is there is a desire to learn. Uh, the second phase is that learners have resourcefulness. The third is learner initiative, and then finally learner persistence. So when we think about desire, resourcefulness, initiative, and persistence, uh, those create kind of the core subcomponents of self-directed learning. So all within an inquiry-based instructional model, giving students greater voice and choice over their learning, but in a way that the teacher serves as a guide to learning, and not an expert of content knowledge. And so that's really a fundamental shift in the way that we view schooling here in Pike County. And, and we know that there are many districts across uh, the country that are working on this work. Uh, one of my really good friends, Steve Holmes in Sunnyside, uh, Arizona, is doing a lot of work around student agency with a high minority, uh, high immigrant population. And so we believe that the, the self-directed work and the self-directed movement is going to be transformative for our teachers and our students here in Pike County. And so well, we're at the very beginning of that learning journey, uh, but we are so excited about it. And Tyler Thigpen with his Institute for Self-Directed Learning is coming alongside of us and help us design those instructional processes. So, you know, it's interesting to me that you, uh, you are encouraging self-directed learning because in so many cases as a father of two sons, I compare my own childhood with their childhood, where effectively my mom and dad were both working class people. And for multiple hours of every single day, I was basically left to my own devices to go ride a bike, throw rocks, shoot guns, hang out with other kids in the neighborhood. And you basically were un, 
you know, un, unobstructed to do whatever you wanted to do versus my sons who are always in some, some camp of some sort, uh, getting tutored on something. They never have a moment really left to themselves. And I've always wondered if I'm doing them any favors, am I creating somebody that can be self-directed, self-motivated? And I, I always think back between the comparison of my own childhood. And strangely enough, they are pretty darn into having, maybe as we push them through a mechanized uh, system of uh, parenthood, maybe they're, they, maybe they need that. Maybe kids actually want to have some freedom in, in how they learn and, and what they learn and, and how they do it. Uh, I, I just came back yesterday, Todd. I, I took three of my teachers to the Granville Village Exempted School District in Ohio, a suburb of Columbus, Superintendent Jeff Brown. And they do a big 180-acre land lab through an environmental science course where students are doing action projects on this beautiful land lab, which includes forest and prairie and agriculture fields and wetlands. And it was just amazing to see the level of engagement uh, when we let students, when we carve out times for them to do their work, as Jeff likes to say, instead of doing our work. And, and there is such power. And we do understand that there are knowledge and skills that students need to have before they leave. But how might we carve out time for them to follow their interests, their passions, become more self-directed and, and do the work that you and I have to do each day, which is be self-directed, following our passions and our interests to accomplish our goals. And it, it, it's just a really powerful testimony to these districts that I'm mentioning around the country that are just really doing great work that need to be elevated as public education just continues to get beat up all the time. You know, there's just really amazing things going on. And and I think we're entering that that place where even corporate executives like uh, Delta and Hyatt and Microsoft and Apple is an article I just read talking about what, what are the things that they need for the future workforce. And they, they keep coming back to some vocabulary that talks about self-direction. They talk about autonomy. They talk about self-starters. They talk about greater problem solvers. Um, but, but ultimately, all those things kind of fall in that bucket of being self-directed, you know, and a and long time ago, I always heard at, at Google when it first started, they talked about how at Google, if you have to be managed, you can't work here. It was kind of an ethos right. of the company. And, you know, I think a lot of companies are in that space and, and they want people uh, who can take initiative, who can leverage resources, who can be persistent and achieve goals. And so I, I think there's just a great movement afoot in public education right now. Unfortunately, the grammar of schooling has been such for, you know, over 100 years. Uh, that it's very difficult to carve out time and space for students to do their work, not our work, and to leverage the passion and interest. And I think the more we can do that, the, the more students are going to be engaged, the more meaningful school will be, and, and the more well-adjusted adults they'll become. We got into that, that structure in education where we grounded and pounded, and, and we, we had a lot of, as a kid, I grew up asking the question, why, the, why am I learning this? What, what am I going to do with this? You remember that question you might, you're probably asking? I think one of the really cool things about American education right in the last 10 years is this focus on project-based learning of telling a student, here's a job that sort of meets something that you might like, and here's how you might accomplish that. And it really does go to that question that you and I probably asked us a million times as I was struggling with fractions in the fifth and sixth grade, like every other American boy, I think. You know, why am I doing this? Well, now, you know, you can actually answer that question. There are technology and, and resources and people and really good schools are answering that question all the time now, aren't they? Absolutely. And, and you know, we, we always talk about 
so many students, especially at the middle school, high school level, they have cell phones, but yet the teacher still stands in front of the class as the content expert. You know, they're holding in their hand, you know, all the knowledge of the world, <laughs> you know, but yet, you know, we, 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 we put these adults in a position to be a content expert, um, which what we really want them to be is des designers of meaningful learning experiences. And that's one of the things that we've pivoted to, Todd, is reimagine what it means to be a teacher in Pike County Public Schools. And it's not the sage on the stage. It's not the content expert. Uh, we want teachers to be designers of concept-based teaching and learning. We want them to be guides for self-directed learning. And we want them to be curators of authentic performances and products. And when all three of those things come together, it's really a beautiful learning experience. And it, it's the kind of learning experience that you and I may engage on the weekends when we're following our interests and passions. Yep. Oh, without a doubt. I watch and read history all weekend long to the chagrin of my wife. Um, <laughs> so uh, the last thing I want to talk about, you know, I love the culture of America where you can go to California and there are surf camps in Newport Beach and kids are skimboarding. And in, in the mid-Atlantic where I live, uh, Friday night will be the state championships for lacrosse, which is just a religion out here. I, I follow sports a great deal. I know that high school football is big in Texas. I don't want to offend anybody in Texas. So everybody just calm down. But Georgia high school football is as good as anywhere in the country. And I imagine Friday nights in the fall is a pretty special place to be in, in, in your part of the country, isn't it? Uh, there, there's no other place to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm, there's no other place to be. It, it's, it's amazing. How does that inform the culture of, of your district? I mean, it's you, how many high schools do you say you have? One or two? We have one. We, said, yep. we have one high school. Yep. One and high school. everybody in the community converges on that place Friday night, probably a few hours somewhere before the kickoff. They all get together. And I'm guessing afterwards they get together. I mean, that, that, that must create such a special closeness within the community. Well, I, I believe it's, it's those kind of rituals and routines that create community. And in a community like ours, we don't have a lot of neighborhoods. We don't have a lot of subdivisions. People come to our communities because they want to live on land. Uh, they, they, they don't have a neighbor that they can just walk a lot of times. Many, some do, but not, not a lot, where they can just you know walk next door and have a glass of tea. And so the Friday night football games, it, it's a place to see your friends. It's a place to reconnect after a hard week of work. It's a place to barbecue hot dogs and celebrate the kids. Uh, you know, it, it's, I, I tell you, it's, it's, it, I've been doing this for a long time and mm -hmm. there is just something about Friday night football in the fall when it starts to get a little cool. And there's just something special about it. it, it it's hard really to put into words. Um, it, it's been a really important part of my life, um, my whole life. And having played high school football here in Georgia and, uh, coached middle school football and, and then been a high school principal being involved in a lot of Friday nights. Um, it's just something very special. And uh, I, I wish everybody could, could enjoy and just have that, have a, have a Friday night football moment in the South. It, it's something really special. Well, Mike, I'm going to, I'm going to pretend you just invited me um, to that experience. I'm going to figure out a way next fall to come down there and watch a game. What's the name of your high school and what's the, what's the mascot? We are the Pike County Pirates, and I, I got to give Todd a big shout out to our Pike County high school baseball team. They're playing for the state championship on Monday, and uh, we're, we're so proud of them. And, and we had 650 people show up for a semifinal baseball game a couple days ago. So, uh, boy, our, you, you want to talk about support. And, and what was amazing is one of our community members 
paid for all the kids to come to the game. And so when you talk about building community and uh, being there for your neighbor, um, there's just something special about a small rural community. Well, Superintendent Mike Duncan, Pike County, uh, you've been a superintendent since 2005. I, I don't think anybody listening to this can even wonder why that is with the enthusiasm for uh, academic achievement, graduation, community, uh, and that baseball team. I, I wish them well, and I wish you well, and I, I want to come visit real soon. I hope you will. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. If you want to learn more about the show, please visit www.strategosgroup.com. Please consider subscribing on your podcast streaming platform so you don't miss out on our next episode. And until next time, I'm Todd Dallas-Lamb, signing off.